All right, everybody, we've made it to Thursday. It is Thursday, May 18th, 2023. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mosh Wanunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. Okay, Mosh, in a follow-up to one of our most viral stories about CD cases and cars with CD players, my husband politely reminded me yesterday that we have a car with a CD player. <laughs> His car, really? yes. Um, my husband has a Jeep Wrangler. I mean, it's our car, but he's the one who mostly drives it. He's like, you know, we have a CD player in the Wrangler. <laughs> so yes, count me as one of the Americans. So have you found your case logic case and are you going to bring them into the car for your next ride in the Wrangler? That is really the question. So today I actually had to drive the Wrangler and I no joke, couldn't figure out even where, like how to get the CD out of the CD player. So I'm trying to figure out what CD is in there. And if it works, uh, let's find those case logics somewhere deep in my garage. Jill, I probably have 100 direct messages from people who uh, found their CDs or also have their case logic (laughs) kind of mega things. And so uh, I look forward to documenting your journey to figure out what CD is in your CD player, whether it works, and once you get it to work, what you've decided to play. Okay, with that, let's get to some news here. Prince Harry and Meghan say that they were involved in a near-catastrophic two-hour paparazzi car chase in New York City, but the NYPD and one of their drivers say otherwise. The state of abortion in America, North Carolina, bans abortion after 12 weeks, and a panel of federal judges signals that it could ban the abortion pill. There is a major drug shortage in this country when it comes to everything from cancer treatments to infections and no easy answers on how to make things better. The Supreme Court leaves a ban on assault rifles in Illinois in place for now. Organized retail crime taking a huge toll on big box retailers And the Secret Service investigating a late-night intruder at the National Security Advisor's home in D.C. Plus, Elizabeth Holmes' last-minute appeal to stay out of prison, rejected by a judge. And Moshe has on this day in history. A little bit of Abraham Lincoln, a little bit of Simple Minds. Do you remember that 80s group? Abraham Lincoln, check. Simple Minds, not check. (laughs) No, I don't know It's particularly ironic because their hit song was, Don't You... Forget about me. (laughs) Sorry, Simple Minds. We did. (laughs) All right, let's start with the story making headlines here and overseas. Prince Harry and Meghan put out a statement Wednesday saying that they were involved in an alleged, quote, near catastrophic two hour paparazzi car chase in New York City. Others, including the taxi driver that drove them, say that that's not quite what happened. Now, this incident took place after Harry and Meghan and Meghan's mother attended an award ceremony in New York City on Tuesday night. The group reportedly wanted to return to an Upper East Side apartment where they were staying, but were hindered by, quote, significant press presence that followed them from the venue. They spent about an hour driving in circles between the FDR Drive and West 57th Street before going to a local police precinct and hailing a cab. A spokesperson for the couple says, quote, this relentless pursuit lasting over two hours resulted in multiple near collisions involving other drivers on the road, pedestrians and two NYPD officers. An NYPD spokesperson says the department had assisted the private security team that was protecting Harry and Meghan that night. They continue that there were numerous photographers that made their transport challenging. 
saying that the Duke and Duchess of Sussex arrived at their destination and that there were no reported collisions, summonses, injuries, or arrests. New York City Mayor Eric Adams was asked about what happened. Here's what he said. I would find it hard to believe that there was a two-hour high-speed chase. That would be, I find it hard to believe, but we will find out the exact duration of it. But if it's uh, 10 minutes, a 10-minute chase is extremely dangerous in New York City. Uh, we have a lot of traffic, a lot of movement, a lot of people are using our streets. Uh, any type of high-speed chase uh, that involves uh, something of that nature uh, is inappropriate. And then there's the taxi driver who drove the couple for part of that journey. He told the Washington Post that he would not call the incident a chase, adding that he felt safe during the ride. That driver, who goes by Sonny Singh, said that he picked up the couple, Megan's mom and a security guard, uh, on Tuesday night at around 11 p.m. outside of New York's 19th precinct. He said that they were pursued by two vehicles, a black Honda Accord and an older gray Honda CRV that were taking pictures as they stopped and were filming them. Singh said that he got the impression from the group that they had already been pursued by paparazzi before entering his car. Jill, when this statement came out uh, early on Wednesday, it definitely had some eerie similarities to what happened with his mom, right, Princess Diana. And that's what I think got everyone's attention on Wednesday. But then as the details here come out, it does not appear to be at least as dramatic as that initial statement, near catastrophic statement uh, that they put out. So more from the cab driver here and his statement. After a few minutes, the uh, cab driver, Singh, said that the security guard was growing concerned about the photographers and asked him to return the group to the police station. So he picked them up from the police station, then returned them to the police station. I guess they were switching cars multiple times during this journey. It's interesting because, as you mentioned, they were headed to an Upper East Side apartment, which is just a few blocks from where this event was. I guess you can speculate here that they just didn't want the photographers to know where they were ending here and took them on these loops around the city. But as anyone familiar with New York would know, a high-speed chase around New York City that doesn't get the attention of social media and you don't find out about till the next day is pretty unlikely. Uh, the cab driver then went on to say, I wouldn't call it a chase. I never felt like I was in any danger. It was not like a car chase in a movie. But the bottom line here is clearly Harry and Meghan uh, felt concerned here. They felt the need to put out this statement, uh, especially with its similarities, again, to what happened to Princess Diana in 1997, who was on a car chase or was in a car chase from the paparazzi in Paris when her car crashed and she died. In his memoir uh, that Harry released recently, he uh, discusses you know, his very contentious relationship with the paparazzi, talking about the harassment of previous girlfriends uh, by the tabloid press. He is involved in multiple legal disputes right now with the tabloid press, including allegations of phone hacking, other unlawful gathering of information, something they're very sensitive to. Earlier in the week, uh, Harry is also right now in a court dispute in the UK over getting security for his family paid for when they visit the UK. Keep in mind, he lives here in California with Meghan and their children. They stepped down as non-working royals a couple of years ago, uh, a move they say was partially due to harassment from uh, the tabloid paparazzi. And yet at the same time, they've done their share of publicity, right? They've had their own podcast. They had their Netflix series. He had his memoir. He had his big publicity tour. So that did lead to questions here as to um, why suddenly what happened in New York was this near catastrophic chase. And they were so concerned about photos being taken of them 
after going to a very highly publicized event where there were lots of photographers. So I can't help but feel that this is sort of embarrassing for them. Just the fact that the cab driver came out and was like, I don't know, like nothing really to see here. And obviously there was a lot more going on beforehand. It gives a lot of fodder for their critics. I think the press statement is the thing that really put them in a difficult position here because their statement that came out said, last night, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex and Ms. Raglan, this is Megan's mother, were involved in a near catastrophic car chase at the hands of a ring of highly aggressive paparazzi. The relentless pursuit lasted over two hours, resulted in multiple near collisions involving other drivers, pedestrians, and two NYPD officers. It just was a very dramatic statement. And I think if they just said, listen, you know, we did this press event, we didn't want to be bothered on our way home, and they came out and put a straightforward statement out, there would probably be less of this gotcha being played here, being like, you know, Harry and Meghan, you know, the NYPD doesn't back you up, the cab drivers don't back you up. They just don't back up this kind of over-the-top statement. Jill, one final thing on this, you know, I feel like uh, Harry and Meghan, very divisive, right? If you like them, if you love them, you love them. If you don't like them, you don't like them. And very quickly, when this statement came out on Wednesday, these sides, you know, went each each side went to their side and one said, how could they do this to Harry and Meghan? The other side said, oh, they're just a bunch of liars here. Totally. Um, overplaying it. And that's just the nature. I mean, it reminds me of, you know, other major media personalities where the minds are made up <laughs> by most people. There are three categories. I like them. I don't like them. And I don't care about them. <laughs> And that's basically it. And so we'll move on, especially for those of you who listen to the podcast in category number three. Okay, now to the latest on abortion in America. First, the legal battle over the abortion pill. A federal appeals court is signaling that it could side with a lower court and block access to the drug mifepristone. The panel is made up of three judges, all appointed by Republican presidents. On Wednesday, they seemed extremely critical of the Biden administration's argument for why the federal government's regulatory approval of an abortion pill should be left in place. And they appeared to sympathize with the anti-abortion group challenging the FDA's approval of mifepristone back in 2000. It is a drug used in medication abortions. It's part of a two-drug regimen. It's used in more than half of U.S. abortions. There is one thing that seems to be going in the Biden administration's favor. The judges signaled that they're considering the statute of limitations on the case. The Justice Department argued this drug was approved nearly 23 years ago, and therefore the challengers are a bit too late to question it. Amosh, another thing I want to mention here is that this decision can have national implications. When we talk about abortion, the argument from a lot of Republicans had been that when the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, it simply left the decision to the states. But not exactly, because this decision about mifepristone could impact women even in states where abortion is legal. Well, that was the goal of the Supreme Court. They wanted to kick this issue out of the courts, leave it to the states. But in this case, you have a uh, anti-abortion rights group uh, that is filing more suits. And this side now, after the victory in Roe v. Wade, sees opportunities uh, to continue the fight here. And that's why you are seeing more of these things uh, winding their way through the courts. Uh, this case, uh, as you mentioned, is now in the Fifth Circuit uh, Court of Appeals that is based down in New Orleans. The federal courts in this country are split into various circuits. Uh, the Fifth Circuit is known as one of the most conservative circuits, and that is one of the reasons 
that the uh, group, the anti-abortion rights group, the pro-life group that filed this case, filed it where it did. So this started, and we told you last month about the Texas District Court judge who uh, happened to be a Trump appointee, very much against abortion. He sided with the plaintiffs here, saying the FDA made a mistake in approving the abortion pill 23 years ago. Uh, The government appealed. It is now in the appeals court. But this appeals court, this circuit, is also known as a conservative circuit. So in this case, the three judges who heard the case uh, on Wednesday, all known for supporting types of abortion restrictions. The Justice Department, represented by the FDA, told the court that this pill has been approved, safely used by more than 5 million women over the course of more than two decades to terminate their pregnancies. One of the judges, though, James Ho, rejected the government's argument that the court should not second-guess the expertise of the FDA. He says the FDA is not right about everything. We have a right to look at this case. Uh, Ho, by the way, we should mention, uh, called abortion a moral tragedy a few years ago in a previous case. Again, one of the reasons they filed it in this court. Another judge who heard the case, Judge Corey Wilson, he's a Trump appointee. He is also a longtime critic of the Roe decision. Uh, He was in the Mississippi State Legislature, voted to ban abortion uh, at 15 and then six weeks, stripped funding from Planned Parenthood. So now he's a judge on this panel. He said that the FDA has taken steps in recent years to broaden the availability of mifepristone, and that made it more likely that patients could show up in an emergency room. So it's not just the approval of mifepristone, but that back a few years ago, the FDA made it more easily accessible, uh, including by mail. So the anti-abortion rights uh, advocates here who filed this case to the FDA improperly cleared this medication for use, improperly removed safeguards. And one of the things they're relying on is one study out of Finland, which showed that some women who took the pill had evidence of bleeding afterwards. The other side, represented by the drug manufacturer, the government, uh, and backed up by several dozen studies over the past uh, 20 years here, says that serious complications are rare. They say that mifepristone is actually safer than Viagra or Tylenol, uh, that some bleeding is to be expected. And so that's where we stand. We are going to await what this three-judge appellate court says. In the meantime, though, mifepristone will continue to remain available. We learned that from the Supreme Court last month. So the Supreme Court is letting this kind of wind its way through the system with no uh, blocks on mifepristone in the meantime. But it is gradually making its way, right? It hit the district court. It's now hit the appellate court. And so it will likely go to the Supreme Court sometime soon. Meanwhile, over in North Carolina, abortion will be banned after 12 weeks of pregnancy. It came after the state's Republican-controlled General Assembly successfully overrode the Democratic governor's veto late Tuesday. The governor had spent last week traveling around the state trying to persuade at least one Republican to side with him on the override. That would have been enough to actually uphold his veto. In the end, the four Republicans that the governor had targeted, including one who had just recently switched from the Democratic Party, uh, they all voted to override. Yeah, so you have the uh, state legislature, which has that Republican supermajority vote to move North Carolina from a 20-week abortion ban to a 12-week abortion ban. Then you had Democratic Governor Roy Cooper veto it, hoping it would stand. By the way, Roy Cooper is looking at running for president in one of the coming cycles. Uh, and in at the end of the day, you had the override of the veto by the Republicans. Uh, Jill, you mentioned that one individual who switched from Democrats to Republicans. Incidentally, she had talked openly about her own abortion 
and tried to codify abortion rights into North Carolina law in recent years. She then, earlier this year, switched parties to Republicans and appears switched her view on abortion rights. It is upsetting the people in the Charlotte area that she represented and voted for her just in November. But of course, this fight is happening in multiple states across the country as we try to kind of keep tabs on where abortion law is going in all 50 states. Lawmakers right now in South Carolina and Nebraska are considering new abortion limits. We should mention both Carolinas, North and South, until recently were two of the remaining Southern states with relatively open access, not these most restrictive uh, abortion bans. It's been a fight in South Carolina. That's the next place we will be watching uh, to see what unfolds there. All right, we have a lot more news to get to, but I first want to tell you about a couple exclusive offers we have for you, the Mo News community, from a couple of our partners. I want to begin with Bull and Branch Sheets. We're so happy to be partnering with them again. It is a brand that helps you get an amazing night's sleep, and they have a great sale right now and deal for Mo News listeners. A reminder that Bull and Branch bedding is made with 100% traceable organic cotton that gets softer with every wash. My wife, Alex, and I now have multiple sets, uh, and we've been loving them. And Bull and Branch has been bought by millions, including, as we learned recently, four American presidents, which is nearly 10% of presidents all time, Jill. What's great about Bull and Branch is they also spend a lot of time focused on the supply chain. It turns out that organic cotton, which they source from India, is better for the environment there, also better for the health of the farmers that farm organic cotton. We discussed this on the Instagram account recently. But let's get to the deal here. Starting right now, Mo News listeners will get 15% off site-wide on bullandbranch.com. Use our code MONEWS, M-O-N-E-W-S, to get 15% off over at bullandbranch.com. That is B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com, bullandbranch. The promo code again, MONEWS. And now to Athletic Greens. I have been using their AG1 supplement in the mornings. The Athletic Greens AG1 powder, it's just one scoop with a glass of water in the morning. Easy, quick, and lets you get on with your day. Knowing that you have gotten over 75 important ingredients, including tons of vitamins and minerals, it also has pre and probiotics to support digestion and gut health. With your first purchase of AG1, Athletic Greens is giving Mo News listeners a free one-year supply of their vitamin D and five free travel packs of AG1. You can visit athleticgreens.com slash monews to take advantage of this offer, and you can get a discounted monthly subscription or just try it one time for just a month. Again, athleticgreens.com slash monews, M-O-N-E-W-S for this special deal and really start to take ownership of your health. Time now for the speed read from the Washington Post, a follow-up to a story that we first told you about in the Mo newsletter on Wednesday. The U.S. Secret Service is investigating how a man entered the home of President Biden's national security advisor in the middle of the night, roughly two weeks ago. The man was apparently not detected by agents guarding his house. The unknown man walked into Jake Sullivan's home at about 3 a.m. one night in late April and Sullivan confronted the individual, instructing him to leave. That is according to two people briefed on the incident. Sullivan has a round-the-clock Secret Service detail, but agents stationed outside the house were unaware that an intruder had gotten inside the home located in the West End neighborhood of Washington until the man had already left and Sullivan came outside to alert the agents. Secret Service Director Kimberly Cheadle apparently livid over the security lapse. Yeah, I can imagine. The like, security what? guys are coming out being like, yo, uh, guys, there was just a guy in my house at three in the morning. Can somebody just keep tabs on my door? Um, the incident 
is being blamed on, quote, human failure, Jill, uh, within the agency. I mean, clearly, uh, there were no signs of forced entry into Sullivan's home. But the Secret Service is saying even if the doors were unlocked and he didn't have his alarm system on, uh, that they should be able to prevent this sort of thing from happening in the future. NBC reports that the Secret Service is taking the matter, quote, extremely seriously and evaluating possible consequences for the agents involved in the incident. As for the encounter, Sullivan had a brief but not physical encounter with the intruder, uh, and then the intruder left his house. Uh, This kind of reminds me of the Paul Pelosi situation, Jill. uh, Keep in mind, though, the Paul Pelosi situation was U.S. Capitol Police, but again, a breach there, uh, and obviously with much more uh, tragic consequences, right? The violent attack uh, on him that left him, that sent him to the hospital. In this case, this is Secret Service, but this is the U.S. National Security Advisor. This is the president's top person uh, with top security clearance who's involved in negotiations with the Chinese, the Russians, a whole bunch of stuff we don't even know about. I'd love to know about, but we don't know about. Uh, And apparently he's got his door unlocked and the intruder's in the middle of the house and he's just like, hey, can you get out of my kitchen? It's three in the morning. It just doesn't feel right, Jill. Mosh, there's multiple reports that this intruder was intoxicated and confused, but still absolutely puzzling how he was able to get into Sullivan's home. Yeah, I mean, Jill, I I went to college around there. It's uh, the West End right there is right next to where GW is. So, you know, I imagine there's lots of intoxicated and confused college students. I was never one of those, though. Never. 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 Never, (laughs) never. But I have seen enough episodes of House of Cards and Scandal to know that the White House Security Advisor should probably lock his door. Correct. From NBC News, the Supreme Court on Wednesday declined for now to block a new law in Illinois that bans assault-style weapons like AR-15s, which have been used in multiple mass shootings. What this means is that the Illinois law that was enacted in the wake of a July 4th shooting in the city of Highland Park last year will remain in effect while legal challenges continue. That shooting left seven people dead. Uh, Mosh, we covered it closely on this podcast, especially because it was your hometown. In a separate case, though, a federal judge blocked the law, but the Seventh U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals has put that decision on hold. This has a lot of implications, Jill. Uh, Illinois is among a handful of states now that has taken uh, an assault weapons ban into its own hands. Uh, That's California, Washington State, uh, Illinois, as I mentioned, New York, Massachusetts, Connecticut, a few others on the East Coast uh, have all passed their own uh, assault weapons ban. And so it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. In the meantime, it appears the Supreme Court in this case, sort of like the case we were mentioning earlier in the pod with Mr. Pristone, is going to let the existing law stand and let things wind their way through the court system until they eventually have to address it. The Supreme Court in January declined to block new restrictions in New York state related to guns. That was after the Supreme Court overturned gun laws last year. And so we see uh, more cases in this case from gun rights advocates, Second Amendment advocates, who say that any restriction on gun purchases is against Second Amendment. Uh, And that was the case here. In fact, you know, they believed in this case, these gun rights advocates, that this assault weapons ban in Illinois curtailed their rights and they needed immediate access to buy assault weapons. It appears the Supreme Court felt, at least for now, that this law can stand. Uh, And we will see uh, how this unfolds through the appeals court. But rest assured, you can imagine this will potentially hit the Supreme Court again, despite their ruling last year to loosen up the laws. 
from CNBC. Target said Wednesday that organized retail crime will fuel $500 million more in stolen and lost merchandise this year compared with a year ago. Target's inventory loss called shrink totals about $763 million in the last fiscal year with the anticipated increase shrink, as it's called, would now surpass $1 billion. It can be difficult to quantify theft because shrink includes inventory loss from other reasons like employee theft or damage. But Target CEO Brian Cornell on the company's earnings call called out the challenge, saying that the retailer and others are grappling with rising theft on top of slower sales and more price-sensitive shoppers. He described retail theft as a worsening trend that emerged last year and said violent incidents have increased at Target stores. And it's not just about the money. He says the problem affects all of us. It limits product availability and creates a less convenient shopping experience. And it also puts our team and guests in harm's way. Yeah, Jill, we've been reporting on how some retail stores are closing in certain areas because of the amount of theft. Though the way they describe it is this is not just petty theft, somebody taking one thing or two things, etc. That these are organized criminal outfits that will go into stores, steal a whole bunch of stuff, and then resell it online. And that's what they've seen a rise of in recent years. It's not just Target, Home Depot, Best Buy, CVS, Walgreens are all talking about this, this organized criminal theft. So right now, a number of those companies are working with uh, Congress, law enforcement, uh, retail industry trade groups to try to come up with policy solutions. Right now, they're pushing for something called the Informed Consumers Act. That is a law that's intended effect is to require verification So thieves can't just sell stuff they steal from the store online, that they want uh, online stores to have to go through verification to show receipts, et cetera, before people are able to sell stuff online. One more thing I should mention, the Target CEO didn't single out any particular store or region that's impacted more heavily here. You know, there's been a lot of talk in cities where uh, there have been decriminalization laws that have allowed people to steal a certain amount without facing any major penalty. San Francisco, New York among them. Uh, The big question is, is how does this end up impacting consumers, honest consumers, who are purchasing things? Uh, Keep in mind, last year, Target had a $31 billion profit. So even at $1 billion in shrink, you know, critics are saying, you know, Target still shouldn't have to raise prices. This is, you know, still insignificant. But Target says that is not insignificant, that this is a big deal, uh, especially as they deal with the fact that They had too much inventory coming out of all the COVID era, and they have shareholders, and they're trying to continue to increase their profits year over year, et cetera. But this theft issue, uh, expect to hear more about it, especially as these major brands uh, see the numbers keep ticking up. From the New York Times, drug shortages near an all-time high leading to rationing. Thousands of patients are facing delays in getting treatments for cancer and other life-threatening diseases with drug shortages in the United States approaching record levels. Hospitals are scouring shelves for supplies of a drug that reverses lead poisoning and for a sterile fluid that's needed to stop the heart for bypass surgery. Some antibiotics are scarce following the winter flu season when doctors and patients frantically chased medicines for ailments like strep throat. Even children's Tylenol was hard to find. The shortages are so acute that they are commanding the attention of the White House and Congress, which are examining the underlying causes of the faltering generic drug market. 
which accounts for about 90% of domestic prescriptions. Jill, a big issue here is that most American pharma companies do not manufacture generics anymore. We're dependent on uh, manufacturers abroad with little transparency into their processes for the vast majority of our generics, and that includes cancer drugs here. A lot of those manufacturers, by the way, India and China, vulnerable to natural disasters, various supply issues, stuff that we just don't have a command over. And that's one of the reasons the White House here has assembled a team of experts to figure out long-term solutions for shoring up the pharmaceutical supply, something that we've seen across the spectrum here uh, issues with, whether we're talking about the ADD drugs, the ADHD drugs, or cancer drugs. So they have supply chain experts, patient advocates, generic drug makers, trying to get a better sense of what we need to do as a nation to ensure that we don't see uh, these types of shortages in the future. The bit, one of the big issues we have is the bankruptcy of the U.S. generic drug maker Acorn, which closed earlier this year. That's been linked to a number of the shortages. And so we're going to monitor this uh, White House group here to see what they can do to bring more transparency to the drug supplies. Uh, so policymakers are not flying blind when it comes to sources for critical ingredients. You know, I've gotten a lot of notes, Jill, on the Instagram account being like, give me an update on this shortage or that shortage. And there just is little transparency from these manufacturers, especially given that a lot of them are based internationally into when things will let up and when things will get back to normal. Mosh, for the first time this year, I have had to call numerous pharmacies to get a prescription for, for my daughter. And it is extremely stressful. In the end, I've, I've been able to get my hands on the prescriptions that she's needed. But it's, it's just another level of stress when you've got a sick kid, especially. Um, it's just, yeah. it, it just makes it that much more difficult. From Reuters, Theranos founder Elizabeth Holmes and former CEO Ramesh Sunny Balwani were on Tuesday ordered to pay $452 million to victims of the blood testing startups fraud. Both Holmes and Balwani are equally responsible for the full amount. An appeals court also denied Holmes's request to remain out of prison while challenging her conviction. Holmes rose to fame after claiming that Theranos' small machines could run an array of diagnostic tests with just a few drops of blood. She was convicted last year of misrepresenting the startup's technology and finances. She was sentenced to 11 years and three months in prison. Holmes had asked the Ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals to pause her sentence on April 25th, two days before she was to report to prison. Yeah, so she's been hanging out at home at least for a few weeks doing interviews with the New York Times at the San Diego Zoo, which we'll talk about in a second. Uh, Liz, but it now appears that she, <laughs> Liz, she's no longer Elizabeth Holmes. She's Liz Holmes, everybody. And it's a new page. But unfortunately for her, her time appears to be up. Uh, a judge could be ruling within days when she is set to now uh, go to prison. It is not clear how Holmes, whose net worth went from $4.5 billion at its peak to nothing after Theranos imploded, will pay the fine to investors uh, in 2022, Balwani's net worth was $85 million, which even in its entirety would make a small dent in that $452 million. Jill, when we talk about the victims here, keep in mind that the uh, juries found the victims here were the investors. They actually didn't find them guilty of defrauding the people who were misled by the uh, blood machines. So the biggest payout here goes to who else? Rupert Murdoch, the media mogul, head of Fox himself. He is set to get $125 million of his money back uh, for investing in Theranos. Other people who would get paid back if Holmes and Balwani can come up with the money. Oracle co-founder Larry Ellison, also another billionaire, 
former Secretary of State Henry Kissinger and former Education Secretary Betsy DeVos also uh, not suffering for cash. But again, the investors here were labeled the victims and a court has ruled that uh, they were misled and they should be getting their money back. Mosh, back to that New York Times piece. You were away when we talked about it on the podcast. It got a lot of criticism as basically just being this puff piece, this PR piece for Elizabeth Holmes. She was trying to rehabilitate her image ahead of potentially heading to prison. Yeah, Jill, I actually read it while I was abroad in Ethiopia because I couldn't help myself. I'm obsessed with the story. Said no one ever. Who's not reading New York Times Theranos pieces? Uh, Though I do know the reporter on that story, Amy Chosick. She's a former political reporter at the New York Times, great writer, a great reporter. And, you know, I think she was reporting what she was hearing from Liz Holmes, who was trying to turn over a new leaf here. Um, At the end of the day, it appears that Holmes, who's the mother to two very small children that she's had in the past couple of years while the trial was going on, will be going to prison for more than a decade. And long term here, I'm curious about the impact this has on overall startup culture. You know, the feeling here was there was not enough vetting on the part of the investors here into what Holmes was coming up with. She was literally, it turns out, taking parts from other machines, from other copyrights, etc. And then coming up with this whole fraud over these blood machines that turned out not to work. uh, And whether uh, there is better vetting going on these days so we don't have to report on another Theranos in the coming years. All right, now time for On This Day in History. We're going to start in 1860. On this day, a young Abraham Lincoln becomes the Republican candidate for U.S. president on the third ballot at the Republican National Convention in Chicago. He would, of course, go on to win, not once, but twice, and uh, help lead the uh, Union in its victory over the Confederacy in the Civil War. All right, fast forward to the 20th century, uh, 1980. Many people up in Washington state will remember this day. Following a magnitude 5.1 earthquake, Mount St. Helens erupted in one of the greatest volcanic explosions ever recorded in North America. All right, a little bit of pop culture here. Shrek turns 22 years old today. It had its nationwide release on this day in 2001. It went on to become the first movie to win the Academy Award for Best Animated Feature. All right, Jill, and we'll end with a bit of music news. Let's cue the tape. All right, Jill, I know you forgot about them at the beginning of the podcast, (laughs) but this is Simple Minds. Don't you forget about me. It reached number one on the Billboard charts on this day in 1985. Maybe that is the CD that is currently in my car. (laughs) I will let you know tomorrow. It could be. It could be. Of course... Uh, associated in my mind with The Breakfast Club. Also a classic movie. All right, uh, we want to thank everybody for listening to the Mo News Podcast. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Review us in the App Store so we can continue to grow. And also don't forget to leave us a voicemail with any questions or commentary you have about this podcast over at 1-800-711-MOSH. That is 1-800-711-MOSH. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.